<clears throat> this is actually it. Go for it. It, it. See, this is why you need to listen to our other ones, because the whole first part is usually a blooper. <laughs> oh, okay. And okay. then we go into the normal, like, podcast part, so. Oh, okay, yes, I should definitely get to watching the rest of your video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to do it. I'm definitely going to do it. Do you hear the big question? Do you follow Bad Kitty Media? Yes, I do, actually. Okay, cool. I follow <laughs> three of my accounts. My my main account, my Jump El Paso account, and then... Do I have... Wait, I said... My Fensta account. account. My Fensta, <laughs> yes. Um, I have a bunch of accounts that I... Actually, I should follow you on Premiere Studios. I'll do that to you, so you have multiple followers. Put, All right. Put notifications on for Premiere, so he knows when I do it. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> Let's... Let's give a go at this intro, no pressure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Welcome to Bad Kitty Media Pod, a podcast where we talk about anything and everything. I'm Josh Rosas, and I'm a professional parkour coach. I've taught in the Middle East, Asia, and here in the US. Currently leading the El Paso parkour community, AKA Jump El Paso, and helping create the first parkour gym in El Paso at Premier Studios. Awful. Worst one we had. Damn it. <laughs> no, I'm that was amazing. That was, that was just fine. That was just uh, fine. That was really trying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is my friend Josh. He's a fellow coach. Howdy. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm also a professional coach. I coach with Parkour Generations. Five. Yes. Um, so what are we going to be talking about today, Josh? Today, we're going to be talking about... I was going to try and come up with something funny, but I'm not that funny of a person. So um, getting straight to it, um, just the overall how our body works to create performance. Um, our body is a system of systems, uh, and we're going to be talking about how we can kind of train these systems to be more effective at helping us just, again, perform in parkour. So parkour performance, I'd like to say. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's great. <laughs> However, we're, we're using parkour because parkour is what we do. And I think a lot of what you're talking about is tuned to parkour. Mm. But correct me if I'm wrong, this applies to any kind of athletics. Yeah, so what, we're, what I'm actually going to be referencing today is um, it's already, it's not my research or anything. It's just from my studies um, right now. Uh, what we're going to be covering is a four coactive model by Dr. Ferguson Cannoli, um, and he's a sports scientist that um, has just done a lot in just the world of sports science. And so, uh, what I'm taking is his research and his practices, and just kind of uh, applying them to parkour instead of the normal fields of which these practices would be applied, which is like soccer, team sports, um, even things like track. Um, it's going to be just taking what he's a, what he's studied, or well, I guess researched, and we're just turning it over into parkour. So I'm just switching the information for parkour listeners. Yeah, cool. I mean, and a lot of our, I know, not a lot, some of our listeners are non-parkour athletes. I know that. Mm. Um, but again, I do parkour, so that's what we're going to be focusing on. Um, so... What do we start with? When we're trying to perform at our best, what's the first thing we should start with? So getting started, anything really, um, 
from everywhere that I've coached as well. Um, any, like even just for like basic fitness, you got to start with your health. Um, and that's going to be the bottom line for anything physical, right? If it's a sport, if it's just trying to improve your life, um, trying to even things like get better at like workflow, you know, having, getting out of that fog of just like being able to stay at work, stay behind a computer for hours on end without feeling tired. Um, you're going to have to really focus on developing your health, right? So eating well, making sure that you're not, um, slouching in your seat, right? Creating all this tension in your body. And then just making sure that, again, that, you know, our heart works, our lungs work, right? And especially it's super important during the times of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, that our hormones are in balance, right? We're not going all over the place with those. And then, of course, just making sure that we're awake and capable of understanding the things that are around us, you know, being able to type, right? If you're, like, tired, if you're in a fog, um, if your nervous system is tired because you haven't been sleeping right, you're going to be typing super slow, you're going to be out of it. And the same thing goes all the way up to um, just any type of sport, really. So if all of these base aspects of your health are out of whack or not being maintained, um, your performance in anything, sport or normal life, is going to be um, limited. Okay, yeah, no, that's exactly what I was looking for. So... Um you know, that's stuff like what you eat, how you sleep, the quality of your sleep, mm. um, how much water you're drinking, I oh, guess. Stay hydrated. I, yeah, water stay is hydrated. <laughs> Shout out to Store real mm. quick. <laughs> um, okay, so <clears throat> let's see here. Um, as far as food, yeah. right? So you talk about having a good diet, but a lot of people construe that a lot of different ways. Um, how would you define a good diet? So that's actually really interesting. Um, and I read a book on this whole thing with like diets, right? Everyone's just like, this diet works, this diet works, this diet works. It's usually people actually committing to a diet for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's easy to get lost whenever these people are saying like, this diet works. And it's primarily just because they're going from eating uh, very poorly to actually controlling what they're eating. Yeah. So, um, and so that's how come a lot of diets um, are being seen, at least within the basic, the general population as effective, um, is because it's just a lot of first timers, you know, taking care of themselves for the first time. And then they're just being like, whoa, my body can actually feel good. And so when it gets into diet, um, basically, in the general premise of what I was saying is like the just taking that step uh, improve the overall uh, type of food that you're eating the quality of it and the amount of it you're already gonna go ahead and start seeing like benefits from it and so and, and I would say that like depending on what you want if you're trying 100%. if you're trying to lose weight you're gonna eat one way if you're trying to have a bunch of energy you're gonna eat another way 100 percent. um i eat a very specific way i don't know if i've talked to you about yes this. um i eat as a martial artist mm. i have tuned my diet to eat well i'm not super strict about it but i've tried to base it off similar to how bruce lee diet was so i have i try and stay away from fats i mm. try to eat lots of protein i like protein supplements bcaa supplements stuff like that as much water as i can get through my body amen and i'm basically trying to build lean muscle and it's really hard to do and i also have to think about how i'm going to be working out to supplement 100 um so like if you were a 
trying to become a heavyweight wrestler, you would eat differently than me. It's just how it works. And the demands of your training as well. Right, so, yeah. Like, um, like, heavyweight wrestlers, like, they got to be eating enough just to supply their weight. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's already a part of it already. So they got to be eating enough just so that their body can function um, without going, like, catabolic, right, and going into caloric deficit. And then there's the performance demands, right? So not only do they need to be able to fuel their body, but they also need to fuel the type of movements that they're trying to perform. Um, and most of them, usually from the wrestling that I've seen, is like it's acrobatic, meaning that it's anaerobic. It's quick bouts of uh, energy being put out. And so um, that is just one of the, uh, that's one of the hardest uh, energy systems to fuel primarily because you're just going through energy so quickly. So you're going to need to make sure that you got, um, you're loaded with carbohydrates and that you also have fats in reserve. Um, what else? And then that you do have protein to help you recover from all of that as well. So that, that is just not harmful at the end of the day, you know? And that's something that I think a lot of people need to remember whenever they are getting into diets and they're trying to train at the same time. Because if they're, <laughs> if they're training and they're not able to finish their training because they're doing this strict diet, they're getting all like, they're, they're feeling nauseous, they're wanting to pass out, um, that's a sign of just a diet that's not effective for your training style. And so, where they're trying to do something beneficial for themselves, they're actually doing something that's harmful. Yeah, and you wanna, we wanna eat also accordingly to your anatomical structure, correct? Yeah. So like, um, I, as a martial artist, am very fast. Mm. That's what I've been working towards, fast, yeah, fast twitch. twitch. Uh, right? Yeah. Um, so for, for parkour, how does that structural, anatomy look like um like muscle wise or yeah uh anything um so getting into the idea of maintaining our health already like say if we're maintaining our health and we got that baseline covered we've optimized it we feel good all the time um nothing's wrong with our daily life but now we're getting into performance and trying to actually do a sport and what's really interesting with parkour is that <laughs> it, parkour is completely up to the individual, right? And so that's what's really tough about like trying to create like any type of programming for parkour, um, trying to do any type of like structured training, anything for parkour. And so in a class environment- you Which, have, sorry, I'm gonna go interrupt ahead. you, which is what you're good at. You're good, I've noticed this, when, when an athlete comes to you and they mm. want you to improve their performance, you are very good at looking at them specifically mm. and creating a regiment for that and yep. for them. You're really good at that. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sorry, what were you going to say? Um, and that's, that's not primarily, um, I think, a trait that's unique to me. Um, I think like going through my personal trainer certifications, I only have one with expert rating, currently doing my NASM, but you have to assess... Um, what's it called, your clients as they come in, your students. Um, and when they come in for these assessments, right, they have their individual goals that they're trying to achieve, um, but they also have their restrictions that are keeping them from those goals. And so those goals can be um, like in, again, their diet, going back to health, like you have to go through these things like, okay, are they flexible, are they mobile? Um, can they stabilize, 
right? Um, are they safe to be even doing exercise, right? And then you work from there. And so um, um, whenever you go into like the fitness realm, these are the things that you do almost automatically yeah. uh, when first beginning with someone. So um, in the world of parkour, um, you do that as well, but um, you look at the demands of their training style. And so that's where you can go ahead and start working at is like, uh, in the terms of the development for the specific athlete is like, well, what do they want? You know, it's not like in, right. it's track where it's just like, I just want to run faster or I want yeah. to run longer. Yeah. Right. And, and you have all these different subcategories. Exactly. Tricking. Well, I guess tricking is kind of its own. I mean, it but, could be a style in parkour. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. A s- tricking style parkour. It's like Archie. Very techie. Big drops like Dom. Mm. Um, you know, there's all kinds Project of things. Project Dive Roll. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to roll on everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, what I think is interesting <clears throat> about the anatomical structure of all athletes is that I think stretching and ligaments, tendons, the, the mobility, that's something that is unique, not just unique to a certain sport. You know, mm. like some sports will have it more so than others, but I think that is one of the things that's all sports it's good to have it's just necessary to avoid injuries anytime that there's a limitation in yeah. flexibility mobility or um going down to the like um like the genetic level of like even ligament density bone density right um that's your ability just to handle stress and so um the more flexible you are the more your muscles can lengthen without tearing the more mobile you are the greater range your joints can go into without, you know, also tearing. Yeah, you know? and that's something um, that I struggle with as an athlete because my upper body is very flexible. I can mm-hmm. take my arms and completely invert them 360. Mm-hmm. So I can that's do skin really the cats. Nice. I don't have. Yeah, I can do skin mobility. the cats both directions. Uh-huh. So full skin the cats. I'm good with my upper body. My lower body's garbage. (laughs) I can't do the splits. I can't do like almost anything. And for most people, that's the case. And that's not due to like your own like wrongdoing. It's primarily again, society. (laughs) Like we've been sitting in chairs for most of our lives. Um, It it also goes down to what you work, right? So I know Joseph has more flexible lower body Mm. and he has been part of kickboxing for like his entire life. 100%. And so his kicks phenomenal but he also his his lower body and like his back and torso is very flexible from Mm -hmm. that martial arts Mm -hmm. um i was i am a very heavy hand fighter so Mm -hmm. i don't fight as much with my legs Mm -hmm. which is something I. but you're really based right i'm really based right so i've been working really hard recently to fix that and Mm -hmm. so i've been focusing primarily on kicks primarily on balance and so i've Mm -hmm. gotten a lot better but what i've noticed is joseph is more prone to saving himself from injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen him do a backflip, miss his feet, land on his back, fold over like a taco, yep. and pop back up. And, and so, he was fine. Yeah, and that that isn't completely just from like structural anatomical. Um, it's also the way that he trains. I think he does a lot of, from what I've seen on his Instagram, is that he does do a lot of rolling. He does a lot of off-axis falling, right? He um, loves that. Yep. His hero's posture. 100%. 100%. <laughs> And even on like Jimmy the Giant, right? Um, he was talking about the two different training styles uh, between like Europe and like Russia with store. That? Yeah, and he was talking about the different people on store and how that their Kongs and how their hips are oriented. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, I love that episode. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's an aspect of like, uh, well, like going into it, like we're creatures of habit, you know. 
oh, whatever we do the most of, we are, right? We are what we do the most of. Um, and so if you're constantly off axis, if you're constantly rolling on the ground, um, if you're put in that situation by accident, it's gonna be completely familiar and it's gonna be something you can save yourself from. Um, whereas if it's not something you do a lot, it's gonna be complete, that's like the end of your comfort zone. It's completely outside of your comfort zone. And um, Usually what happens when you're in that situation into like a cognitive level um, is that it's just so much information to process that your kind of brain just blanks out and that's how come you see these people kind of just fall without saving themselves. Is literally because it's happening faster than they can think about. But whereas someone is used to falling backwards, they're used to rolling off axes, doing all these different things, the moment that they're falling in that situation, their brain is able to understand and react to what's happening. So that's, that's again, a whole other thing outside of structural orientation, flexibility, and mobility. But um, having those things allows for uh, what I just talked about in terms of like your ability to react, it allows for it to happen a little bit more efficiently because you're able to reach and yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, uh, what's it called? It's a comp and that's actually why we're talking about this because everything, everything technically works together, um, which is why it's important to have good flexibility and mobility because then you can just access these things um, when you need them the most. So that's talking about like physically, like our, our joints, our ligaments, our, mm -hmm. all of that metabolic stuff. Metabolic, going into the cardiorespiratory and energy substrate systems. So um, basically, well, I'm pretty sure we all know why our heart's important. <laughs> <laughs> it goes bump, bump. <laughs> and it keeps you alive. But it also, it, it does supply nutrients to the tissues inside of your body. That red stuff going through your body isn't just random. It has a purpose. And then also a respiratory system has to do with being able to supply oxygen to the blood and then the blood goes to your tissues and then it all works together to help with contractions and keeping your body nice and fresh and not dead. And then yeah, and then circulatory systems going into just making sure that that as the blood is traveling through your veins, your arteries, through your blood vessels, is that you can actually use the nutrients, the oxygen that's traveling within your blood efficiently. If your circulatory system is coated with like cholesterol and triglycerides. That's what I was gonna say, mm -hmm. is that goes back to eating healthy. 100%. Because that will determine how your circula circulatory system behaves. 100%, right? yeah. Because, uh, yeah, and that's how come people that feel tired, they feel weak. It's primarily because their tissues aren't getting the adequate amount of oxygen and nutrients that they need to function. Okay, so that's fairly straightforward. Yeah, right? it's pretty straightforward. That's yeah. really straightforward. <laughs> but how does like, okay, so I know that you told me back when we were training a couple weeks ago, yes. you were like, yeah, if I have a bad day, I just, I think about how I could have prepped for it better. Oh, 100%. Eating better, sleeping better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So how do hormones and supplementation recovery how does all that play into performance oh man um well again uh hormones really interesting um well your hormones govern how you feel right that's 100 percent just your emotions and so um it's as simple as just like if you're feeling like bad, if your brain's just completely out of it, your hormones, your cortisol, like that's your immune system as well. Like it, it just 
directly governs your your overall state of like I guess like physical perception, how you you're feeling and uh, taking in all of what the world is, right? And so if you're not resting well, that's going to directly affect your hormones. And if you're eating foods that throw off your hormones, then you're just going to be all over the place, right? Um, an example of this is like. Uh, People who take like HGH and they're just angry all the time because they're amped up with testosterone. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's like an extreme, like an extreme example. But where if you're not like if you're like low testosterone, you're like act, like going at these low levels of hormones, right? You're not in this perfect balance. You're either gonna be like feeling like super subpar, or you're just gonna be overwhelmed with them, right? And in parkour. Um, you don't want to be feeling too low and you don't want to be feeling too much, right? Because then that's where like anxiety can happen and then depression where it's like, I don't even want to train. And then like, yeah. you're just like, I can't even focus right now, you know? And when you're going for those jumps, uh, you just want to be calm and controlled all the way through so that you can stay safe. And so that's an example of like making sure that your hormones are good. Um, and then supplementation just goes into your overall ability to actually train, which is like, if you're planning to do like a two hour session of just like hammering out jumps, throwing down these thug nasty lines, or just like flip, massive jump, right? That's gonna be, you're switching between your aerobic and anaerobic energy systems. Um, and that's like completely dominant on like your ability to have carbohydrates in your body and your body to use them very quickly. Um, and then also water, having protein, like again, same thing that I was saying, like you just need all these macronutrients in your system so that you can actually do what you're trying to do without getting fatigued too early on in your training. So you can change your hormonal system by making small changes in your daily life, right? But what about your nervous system? How do you change something that isn't so affected by like diet? Um, so your nervous system, that one's pretty interesting. Uh, um, so on a neuromuscular level, there's exercises that you can actually do to improve either that's, the contractile speed. That's what I was um, going to bring up. Mm -hmm. And then, but your central nervous system is completely reliant on just like your psychological and physiological loads. If those two were like, say if you're doing like, like kind of like remember how we trained last Sunday and we were both coming from work and we're just like, God damn, like yeah. we we're both kind of like in this, like we had just finished work. And so psychologically our brain was like fried, yeah. right? And so you, like we'd have to like super focus, right? To make sure that we are firing our muscles off at the right way. Or at least that's how I feel. Do you feel the same way? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I have a very interesting point on this. Okay. That I just thought of, have you heard of decision fatigue? Yeah. Okay. So, decision... I mean, I haven't heard about it, but it seems, it sounds uh, familiar to something that I know. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, decision fatigue, we, we only have a certain number of set decisions that each of us are capable of deciding upon yeah. before our brain is too tired to make good decisions. Oh yeah. And yeah. so what what stores do, this is a really weird example. Mm -hmm. What stores do is they will put the most important things in the very back. Gas stations do this. Um, Walmart, all the big brands will do this. And in between the front door and the rear of the store, they'll put everything you don't need. And so they're purpose <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah, they're purposely <laughs> Um, making you walk further. And so as you go through the store, I can guarantee you every single person has oh, thought this. Oh, that's hilarious. Maybe I need that. I'm kind of hungry. Maybe oh I should get a snack. God. And so by the time you've gone all over the store and they'll put like one important item on one side and another important item way on the other side of the store. That, this guy, <laughs> oh my God. And so what they'll do is by the time you've gotten everything you need, 
you're ready to buy more because your decision fatigue has already been exhausted. And so that's so cool. Yeah. And so another thing that drains <clears throat> our decision fatigue, and it's a small thing, is social media. Oh, so if you if you get on Instagram and you are scrolling through every single time you go, hmm, do I like, do I not like? Do I like, do I not like? <laughs> that is taking, that's using a decision. Mm. And so a lot of, you can find all this on YouTube and books talk about it. I read a lot of stuff about this. Um, if, if you guys want to watch and understand, there's a channel on YouTube called Food Theory. They talk about this and they go into all the details about the like how stores organize stuff. But they talk about staying off of social media in the morning. Mm. And that's something like if I don't think I'm going to have a productive day, I, I get on social media immediately. But it, like today, I knew I had to have a productive day today because it was podcast day. And so what I did when I woke up, I was like, okay, no social media. I gotta go, I gotta go get up, I gotta get ready. I gotta go maybe watch some YouTube or something, but no Instagram, no Facebook, no Snapchat, There's nothing like, like that. From mine too. Yeah, and so I find I get way more done. I'm able to study more, I'm able to get more done on the podcast, I have some other stuff I'm working on. And so I think a lot of that also plays into this system, you know? Yeah, because uh, again, like, um just your central nervous system, your cognitive capacity, um, everything's finite. You're like, I feel like a lot of people think like, oh, we are these infinite sources of energy on a psychological and physiological level. And it's like, we're really not. You know, everything we do in the day, even our thoughts, um, there's only so much that you can do within, you know, a given time. Like, I'm not sure if you've ever felt this way, but like you just had a day that was completely rich with learning new information, doing things, and you just like, just name it, just keep throwing stuff, like your most productive day. By the time you got to the end of the day, like you just can't even think about anything, right? Your right. brain just literally just like, sleep. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, and I found the days I'm most productive like that are mm -hmm. the days that I consciously avoid Instagram and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so, like, if I need to post for Bad Kitty Media, I'll make the post mm -hmm. and I won't get back on it again. And um, so like if I'm gonna go train, I try and stay away from it. I might watch some YouTube videos about parkour or something like that, but then I'll go train. And yeah. I'll try and stay I'll try and reduce the amount of decisions I have to make as much as possible. How many coffees do we have? I don't care. I'm gonna have one so I don't have to make a decision about it, you know? What am I having for breakfast? I decided yesterday so I didn't have to make the decision about what to have this morning. Mm. Stuff like that. And so yeah, I, I don't know. That's what I, mean, I do. It's, it's a completely optimal now that I think about it. Because, yeah, just thinking your your brain does use calories 100%. Like, right. Um, like, that's like when they say that just for, like, your normal desk job, you should have about 2,000 calories because that's how much your brain is going to you watch Death Note? <laughs> Only just the first episode. Oh, okay. So there's a character in Death Note. His name is L. Mm -hmm. And he constantly eats sugar. Oh, yeah, for his brain. And they're, <laughs> yeah, his and they're like, aren't you going to get fat like that? And he's like a super skinny guy. And he yeah. goes, no, as long as I keep... And he like goes off and he's like, as long as I keep thinking by this rate, in this amount of time, I burn all the sugar I intake. And Jesus it's, yeah, because he's like a genius. I mean, that's what people That was but, a side topic. But. No, I mean, it's totally true. Your brain is completely uh, reliant on uh, glycogen. So, yeah. Glycogen, glucosamine. Something like that. Yeah, some, starts with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, and so that's just an example of like your central nervous system and how, and again, everything's controlled by your brain, uh, but things do fatigue, so you just gotta make sure that your diet's good. Um, again, making sure you have an adequate amount of carbohydrates, not sugar that his brain was using, it was the, uh, is it polysaccharides? monosaccharides i'm not too sure i can't remember too well, <laughs> but um it's just the fast dissolving sugars right, right. They can get to the brain instantly and our body can use immediately um but yeah that's a real basic example of just being able to maintain it rest well so that you're you can actually function and think and then also eat well so that you know you can stay on top of your game Okay, so we've gone over all the different, well not all, most of the different ways that you can improve as an athlete, right? But what determines... Oh, this is just as a normal person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what's crazy about it, right? <laughs> so what we determines... We haven't even gotten into the athletic parts. If you're an athlete or not. Um, so that's actually really interesting, right? So, um, well, I feel like a lot of them kind of disassociate athletes as like these... Uh, individuals who just focus completely on their sport and not they're not actual people oh you know? right okay I see, so I see. um that's always the first thing that we need to understand whenever we're talking about athletes is like this is a person this is they have their entire life they have emotions they have interests that are outside of their sport similar to us i'm not imposing that this is what everyone thinks but this is uh what i've seen sometimes especially people who aren't an athlete and they watch major sports like basketball, baseball, football, right. that's where I see that outlook the most, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. Even at just the normal level, um, most people see athletes as like, oh, this is just this this person that's dedicated, dedicated their entire being to the sport. And when it, in reality, it's not. And um, you do have people like that. Occasionally, you'll that get is people true. like that. So, do you know who Alex Honnold is? Yeah. No, okay. I don't, no, no, no. But I was, I, I was agreeing, because like... Um, even outside of the athletic arena, you get people that are just so consumed by their professions. Right. That they're just like, this is what I need to do for myself. Yeah, okay, so Alex Honnold is a rock climber. Mm -hmm. And he, I, I, I'm fairly sure he has like a strain of autism. Oh, yeah. And it causes him to hyper-focus. Like, so he uh, only cares about rock climbing. Mm -hmm. That is it. And so that is literally all he does. Mm -hmm. So there's a wall called the Dawn Wall. It's like... He climbed um, it without a rope. Was it, did he have like a thing on Netflix? Yes, yeah, yes, okay, yes, 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 free solo, yeah. yeah. So that's him. When he got done climbing this massive wall, never before done mm -hmm. without a rope, I, without any ropes, he just free soloed it. Do you remember what he said when they asked him he was gonna do next? Oh, no, 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 no. They were like, well, now that you've climbed this biggest wall without a rope, what are you gonna go do? And he goes, hangboard. <laughs> it's the thing that rock climbers use to train their hands. Wow. Yeah, and so he just went to his van. He just worked out. Jesus. And, like, he went back right into the routine. Like, that's mm. all he does. Mm. And I think some people are like that. I've heard that Mike Tyson was like that with his mm. fighting. He was trained in such a way that that's all he knew was fighting. And I, I think that's, that's very different when you get into practices like that, though. These are very much life or death practices. Yeah. Um, they're, they're disciplines, right? So I, I can understand where it's like that, but I think um, in the normal like team sport realm, I don't know, from what I've seen, it's not too prevalent. Um, yeah, you'll get a few people like that, but mm, for the 90, 95%, they're not gonna be like yeah, that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Right. 
Yeah, and yeah, definitely, like, well, especially when you're at that professional level, it makes sense why you're at the professional level and right. thinking that way. Yeah. Going back into, like, what an athlete is, it going, we talked about it before the, we started the pro, the, the podcast, but it's like, uh, what I have written down here is like, it's a complex performance system that uses their health to develop physiological and psychological adaptations to complete skill-based objectives for their discipline, right? And so, um, they're a person, but because they're trying to complete these objectives for their specific sport and parkour, it's training styles, um, we, they use their health as like their baseline to which they can develop these physiological and psychological adaptations on them to optimize their ability to complete these skill-based objectives. Um, so an example of this would be like, um, <clears throat> what's it called? Like for, for, my, for my own training, like the, I try my best to maintain my health. I'm not too great at it, beer primarily because I haven't really had too many training goals and I've been really trying to get back into just enjoying my friends and family. And I think that's really important. Like there was a point in time when I was living in Bangkok and I was completely vegetarian because I was just like, I want to try it out. And I liked the idea of clean eating. And I felt really good at the time. I came back home <laughs> <laughs> to the Southwest, bordering Mexico, El Paso, Texas, New Mexico, um, Las Cruces, like Mexican food here is phenomenal. Like, oh my God, it's the best thing but it's probably also the greasiest thing in the world. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, like, and this going back into the whole, like, person thing where it's just like, you know, you do want to maintain your, like, social, emotional life. So I'll admit, like, I do go out and have night outs with my friends where we do drink and we do eat. And then, you know, even when I'm going to family events, you know, they're making tacos and you best believe I'm eating a bunch of those tacos, you know? And going into the aspects of my health that I have maintained and the physiological level I'm trying to, for the way that I like to train. I used to be an 800 runner, 400, me 400 meter and 800 runner in um, high school. And so I really enjoyed the idea of moving really fast for a long period of time. And so um, going into parkour, um, I always enjoyed doing individual skills, but that was never really enough for me. I like the idea of like, I'm lining up a jump, I'm doing the stick, but then I always felt like, man, I still got all this extra energy I wanna keep doing. So now I try to do like these really complex sequences of just like kind of do a gate flip here. Now, now that I've landed, I'm gonna try and pop up, do a Euro step. I'm trying to make these most like, I like to call it like endurance power PK, where I'm trying to do big, fast power moves over a long period of time. And so the way that I train myself up for that is like I'm doing a lot of anaerobic training. I'm constantly on like assault bikes, but I'm also making sure that I'm constantly stable at my joints and that my muscles are able to fire off. I'm constantly working on how fast I can eccentrically and concentrically attract, uh, contract my muscles to create force while fatigued, right? And then also be able to perform skills. And so that's a level of, of physiological adaptations that I'm creating for uh, my training style. Um, but then at the psychological level, like you got to be able to process all this information that you're trying to do. To try and do a side flip precision, then immediately chain it into something else. Um, all that's happening so rapidly within less than a second, right? You have to be able to think in the moment what you're going to do next. Not only think, but actually visibly see it, visually see it, and then make a decision from there as you're seeing it. 
to continue going, right? And so you have to be able to improve your cognitive capacity, your ability to coordinate rapidly, right? And so um, a lot of my training right now is geared to being powerful and being coordinated uh, rapidly. So then what's the biggest difference between a, I'm gonna say major sports athlete and a parkour athlete? Um, well, um, it, it, this is the goal really actually. Um, the way we, again, play our sport. And yeah, competition wise. So what's different between most sports and even our own sport is just the overall goal. And it comes down to the individual, right? There could be competition, there could not be competition, and anything goes as long as you don't hurt yourself, right? So um, parkour is all about being completely free in the way that you express yourself and the way that you move your body just as long as it's not harmful to yourself. And um, yeah, you know, you're just trying to be free. And so where that goes in terms of being different from the sport, you know, there's, there's a frame for soccer that the athletes can act in. And for you know football, there's a frame, right? Catch the ball, they, you can even create strategies out of it, and there's a lot of things that come from it. But in parkour, um, there really is no frame, and who creates the frame is the individual athlete, right? So there's a lot of power invested in what parkour even is for the person. And uh, that's the difference, is like, the individual makes, defines what parkour is to them, and that's how come I feel like we have all this like craziness in the community where it's just like parkour is this, parkour is that. Yeah. And it's because it's just so open to interpretation and everyone's training styles are so different. It's just hard for us to kind of like agree on one thing because like it's a very much individual based sport. So that's the difference is that there really is no rules. <laughs> yeah, and you were talking about taking training in a certain direction. Yeah. So once someone has decided to train a certain way or yeah. take their training in a certain direction, and you start to design a program, because we're talking as coaches here, right? Yeah. Um, how do you go about doing that? Um, well, similar to the way that I've looked at my training, and again, just, it, it's, these are, these are practices implemented within personal training. You know, you just look at what the goals are of the individual and you help them go to those goals. But what's interesting about parkour is that unlike um, personal training is that none of this is actually mapped out, you know, like, if someone's trying to um, relieve like back pain, right? Like, and they have like a hip imbalance, right? Um, there's corrective exercises to fix that, right? In parkour, there's no guide on how to train for a like gait flip, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which is where your own education and your own 100%. like where you have to go and research how to mm -hmm. train for certain things which is what i had to do for martial arts I was like, okay i gotta get good uh who do i look at mm -hmm. what what is available for me to look at mm -hmm. as far as online as far as in books what nutrients do i need you know how do I, how do i structure my diet how do i structure how often i train that kind of thing mm -hmm. and so i had to do all of my own research for that and so, you know, I know every single little detail of how I should be training for that. 100%. And as a coach, I'm not going to say that's your job, but when they tell you a direction, it's a little bit more up to you, especially if they're new to the sport, oh, yeah. to show them how to do that. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting that you bring up new to the sport because um, 
Like lately I've been experimenting with the idea of just teaching skills um, and just kind of more like I do teach the way that my kids are actually learning parkour is through the three pillars of parkour. So I've never actually even brought up to them the idea of a co-active or Okay, hold anything. on, hold on. What are the three pillars of parkour? Strength, touch, and spirit. Uh, and these three pillars were developed by uh, the ADAPT program, or the individuals that helped create the ADAPT program and the Yamakaze. Or I could just be the Yamakaze, I need to do a little bit more research on that. Okay, so what do three pillars do? What are they there for? So the three pillars are kind of just a defining aspect of the areas of development. Yeah, because uh, I mean, and that goes into that goes into the the idea of how accessible this information is within the PK community. Even something as based as the three pillars of parkour, um, we don't know if this is actually information outside of PK Gen, right? And so, um, in order to actually get this information, you'd have to go to PK Gen, and so that gives a lot of room for all the other people that aren't outside, of, aren't inside PK Gen, to create their own things, but. Um, that's to, up to us to explore, right? Yeah, which I think this is all fairly generalized information just because if you look at other disciplines, you have mm. very, very similar ideas, right? Oh, 100%. So martial arts, a sound soul dwells within a sound mind that dwells within, that dwells within a sound body, right? That's uh, You're basically, you're not talking exactly the same thing, but it's very similar. Mm. And so I think no matter what discipline you go to, it's going to be fairly similar. Ish, mm. you know you're gonna be able to relate them similarly you know 100 percent. like um <laughs> i think what started me on this whole uh escapade of finding different training styles was primarily because i was i was very sucked into um just kind of like the world of parkour right um and i'd never done any like it was my like because i've been in like normal athletics for my entire life so like the idea of training the body was your classic like get good at sports and go to college but um, the idea of like developing yourself completely free and not really having any like grand goal of being like the greatest athlete on the planet was totally like interesting to me because I'd never seen that before it was just like well like if you're not trying to go to college if you're not trying to make a career out of this why are you doing it you know and so I got very much into like that, like I'm just going to adopt this mindset of like this is what parkour is and there's nothing like it. But then I hung out with people who are like skaters and BMXers and I'm just like, oh you guys have the same train of thought, but it's you guys use different terminology, you know? That's really what just kind of like took me out of the whole like parkour mind. I was just like, oh yeah, like there is worlds outside of this one and we probably just use similar terminology and whatnot. Of course, each practice has its very like defining things that are different. That, that's kind of just something I was like, oh, I can look to other practices for inspiration. And so I ended up finding myself back in athletics, which we'll end up talking about the three pillars of parkour. And that's actually really interesting because this co-active basically is just a more detailed version of the three pillars. So um, yeah, it's very uh, prevalent across the board in any practice, but... Yeah, strength, touch, and spirit are, uh, yeah. I think it's it's just, uh, it's there to guide us to just develop ourselves until we're ready for more information. <laughs> so there's the three pillars of parkour, strength, touch, and spirit. Yeah. The coactive model, the four coactive model. What are those? Oh, okay. Well, this is going into actual, like, well, let me go ahead and break down what uh, the three pillars are because when we say strength, right, um, and I'm teaching my kiddos this, 
this is just, and I really just enjoy how general it is because when you go into the four coactive model, I would say this is 100% for coaching. No athlete, no student will ever need to know this. This is simply just for us to be able to create something for them and guide them through it. But what's cool about the three pillars of parkour is that you can teach that, right? And it makes sense. And it's useful information to have as a practitioner. Whenever we talk about parkour, the strength pillar, it's strength of mind and body, right? So it's just like, you can't have a strong body if you don't have a strong mind, right? You can only, if you're training and your body starts to burn and your body and your brain's like, oh yeah, give up, you're, you're, you're gonna die, be careful. You know, and you immediately give up, you know, then you're not developing any type of mental resilience. And so I like that because parkour is completely challenge-based and it's completely physical. So we're constantly facing these, um, like mental challenges where we do have to, you know, like hunker down and like grit our teeth and be ready to, you know, have ourselves be physically challenged in an uncomfortable way. But at the end of it, we know that we're going to be um, benefiting from it. So I really enjoy being able to talk about the idea of strength of the mental and physical capacity in parkour um, for that pillar. And then touch. Um, I love this one because then I get to do like a class on like uh, on the five senses. <laughs> And so it's a uh, sensitivity of touch and awareness of space. And then we get to talk about like the idea of like, you know, um, when we're using our strength in parkour, we're using it in the real world, right? And the real world is not a safe place, not a safe place at all. There's things that you can touch and immediately die, like electricity, <laughs> you know? Um, but then there are things that are totally fine that you can land on face first, like a mat, right? And so being able to distinguish between all of these things um, is very important in parkour and being able to distinguish it almost immediately as you're moving is what's gonna keep you safe in the practice, knowing what's safe and what's not safe. I love this pillar because there's an exercise that me and Coach Joe like to do. It's called skin listening. Skin listening? You ever heard of it? Yeah, me and Joe. We I feel like it's like echolocation or something. It is, you have to either blindfold yourself or close mm -hmm. your eyes and then you have to move through a designated space with your eyes closed. It's so much fun. <laughs> and once you once you get good at that, you really get good mm. at flow. That's mm. where it's really good. Yeah, because you can kind of, you can, it has like a proprioceptive aspects to it. Right? Yeah, yeah, and there's almost this meditation to it, right? Yeah, and so, flow state. Yeah, so the way that Coach Joe will do it is he'll sit cross-legged, he'll meditate for a second with his eyes closed, and mm. then he'll just start moving. He'll just start moving through the space with his eyes still closed. Mm. And oftentimes it's flawless to the point where he doesn't run into anything. He doesn't do anything like, he doesn't hit his head. He doesn't trip or anything like that. He's That's really good. It's, level yeah, yeah, it's sick, really dude. cool. So I love this pillar right here. Yeah, no, and it's a really fun one to dive into because that's where, that's where all of parkour kind of really like the skills from parkour really stem from just having that tactile awareness and that just awareness of what's around you, you know? Yeah, and that's something that's also really prevalent. Like, again, I keep going back to martial arts. Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, you, you're learning how to be aware all the time. Mm. And when you start, especially with martial arts, but this also applies to parkour, you start thinking about how you're walking. You mm. start thinking about the things around you. Oh, 100%. There have been several times ever since I started both parkour and martial arts where things would fall off tables and I'd catch them. 
Like, oh, I, I, I love that. Right? I know that, that sounds like, yeah. super cliche. Oh no, it's super fun. I I love that idea because I'm the same way too. I was just like, I wouldn't have been able to catch that. Yeah, I or like I would open the fridge door and something would fall out and I'd kick it back in like mm-hmm. before it hit the ground. Bam. But, yeah. Sicko, <laughs> like dude. I classify all that as like the tactical touch aspect oh, yeah, of yeah. all of the disciplines, you know. Oh, and I and love that progression. Yeah, and that's how come I really, I was talking to someone about this, is like, I really wish more people would do disciplines, because um, outside, or like even like athletics, like just general, like athletic, like, I do, like, what? Oh my gosh, you saying athletics reminded me of something. There's a clip of a baseball player. All right. And he's talking to a camera woman with his back turned to the base plate. Mm And his teammate hits the ball and he goes like, he doesn't even look at it. And he puts his arm behind the camera mm-hmm. woman and just catches the ball barehanded. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, he just turns around and tosses it back to the pit, the hitter. hundred percent. And I was like, what? And for those of you who haven't seen it, you go just, look it up on YouTube. Up, like baseball person it's catches insane. ball. From, like newswoman. Without <laughs> looking or anything. He yeah, just, he just sits it in his like kind of like peripheral. Like I'm pretty sure you could hear it whizzing. Right? Yeah. And then that created that like, that was the stimuli to be like, oh, ball coming. Boom. Yeah. Right. That is the exact kind of awareness I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's so crazy. But I feel like, um, man. Okay. So like. I wish more people would do it because then they get to actually see how uh, the potential of their actual body is, you know, and like I'm very much about that, like even with the jump El Paso thing, I'm like explore your potential because like um, general health and fitness, like you're just strengthening your body, right? And so there's no real mind-body connection. Uh, you can see it all the time. I know uh, I love to bring it up and like a lot of parkour practitioners or any athlete really will talk about how bodybuilders can't do pull-ups, <laughs> you know? Um, and what's funny about that is that like, um, it's cause, uh, even though they can like, you know, lap pull down like 200 plus pounds, um, whenever they go to a pull up, a pull up's actually really complex. You have to be able to stabilize and be able to make sure that you're engaging the right muscles and being able to stay balanced as you're pulling up. Otherwise, if your body's swinging, you're having to handle extra load, making the pull up harder. Um, it's kind of basically like trying to throw a wet noodle, right? Yeah, um, but um, yeah, and then when you actually get into like athletics, you actually know how to coordinate your body at some level. And I think with parkour, martial arts, you learn how to coordinate your body so well that the general perception of the population is like, what? They're superhuman. Whereas yeah. it's like, no, we're just doing what our bodies were made to do, you know? Yeah, there's a movie. It's called Before the Dragon. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's not a, it's not an actual Bruce Lee movie because he's not actually in it because uh-huh. it was made in 2017, but there's an actor playing Bruce Lee. And there's a fight scene where he fights a Shaolin monk. For some reason, I'm thinking it's like, if you want the no, if you got the glow, it's not that one, right? No, totally no, 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 no. That movie is so <laughs> sick, though. I love the songs. Up. So they they go into this warehouse and they're fighting, mm-hmm. and they fight for like half an hour. Mm. And the Shaolin monk leads Bruce Lee up a set of stairs, mm-hmm. and at the top of the stairs, Bruce Lee backs him to a drop off, and it's like two, three story drop. And Bruce Lee's like, where are you going to go now? Like, you have nowhere to go. And the monk just looks at him and he goes, this is why you'll never beat me. And turns and steps off. And he like, you know, it's cheesy kung fu movie. So Um, he like floats down. But the idea is that he jumped and he was fine. 
Mm. And so he gets to the bottom and he stands there and he's like, this is why you'll never beat me because you have, you have these limits. And Bruce Lee was like, and yeeted himself off the thing and lands next to him and he goes, I have no limits. And they just start fighting again. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's so and so rad, that's the kind of thing where it's like, we we can do a lot more than oh, we think we can. And I was having a conversation. We haven't even figured it all out yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was having a conversation with my dad because I was telling him about some level two jumps in Houston that I was doing. And I was like, no. yeah, if I would have messed up, I might have died. And he was like, well, then why are you doing it? And I was like, you don't understand. 100%. I'm pushing my limits here. I'm I'm yeah. trying to get to the point That's where a whole I, other level that yeah. you're trying to play with right and now. <laughs> yeah. When you're trying to explain that to someone who doesn't have a similar discipline, it's mm. really hard to and get. And it's just completely foreign. It's just like, yeah. that is dangerous. I stay 100 miles away yeah. from that. You know? And yeah, I totally feel you. Uh, I remember I did a gate flip off of the fridge in my house and my mom freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) Is there video footage of this? There is, actually. You can send that to me. I'll put that. On the Patreon that's available on our Bad Kitty Media Instagram page, (laughs) we got four different tiers. We got a podcast tier that you guys can just pay $4 a month to go see Josh gate flipping over his fridge. And my mom freaking out. (laughs) And his mom freaking out. (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. So, um... Just, you know, way to expand on it, but it was just like, you know, I've been training for so long at that time. And, um, I know that she knows that like, I'm like really good at what I do, etc. Yeah. But like to her, that's still extremely dangerous, you know? And to me, I was just like, oh, I, I've done like crazier things. Yeah, way, like, way like I've tried to like land on a rail that was like a story off the ground. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, but yeah, go ahead, continue. I was just going to say one word. Uda. Uda, yes, we do have that one up here. Um, and so we're getting into the coactive model now. And so what the coactive is, uh, we actually didn't really talk about it um, too much because we did three pillars, but the four coactive model is, um, and I'll, I'll send the, um, the graphic over to Andy. Okay, but, can you send me like a link to this that everyone can no, access? No, yeah, yeah, that would be better, a lot better. This is just very generalized. I probably need to update the physiological aspect of it because I just kept that one general because I can elaborate off. So then anyone who subscribes to our Patreon podcast, you can see this graphic that he's made with a very detailed outline of everything we're talking about today. Yes. Um, But man, okay. So there's four aspects to this coactive model. The reason it's called a coactive is because uh, similar to the pillars of parkour, these are all aspects from a sport that are all working together, right? So um, in the technical aspect, it's gonna be talking about decisions and execution. Well, tactical has to do with like skill, uh, skill sets, your ability to be creative um, in your practice, right? Um, being able to give yourself, uh, I guess, it goes into like, uh, like tactical, we can think of it as tools, right? And then technical, is understanding how to how and when to use those tools, right? And then we got the physiological, which is the base level, or what we've been talking about really is just you know having a strong body, having a capable body, but not just that, also having a functional, well-fueled body as well as having a brain that functions because your brain controls your body, right? And I feel like people forget that that one happens. <laughs> But, uh, and then we have the psychological, again, going into the idea of like neural, we just talked about the brain, 
um, going into having like spiritual aspects, not in terms of religion, but just understanding why you're even doing something. So this is like motivation and having the ability the to- The why. Yeah, 100%, why. this is just the why. And then emotional and your cognitive abilities. But, um, Uda, right? Uda. The Uda loop. So this is going into that technical coactive, um, which, uh, oof, it, it's, it's really generally put, like it's just your ability to decide what you're gonna do and being able to actually execute on it, right? And so the reason this is its own little section is because um, knowing how to do something is much, it, it's completely different from being able to implement it in the physical world, right? You can know how to do a precision, it's another to actually go and try to do a precision. Um, and so this is what is uh, what the OODA loop is, is the it's a basic principle of decision making uh, that was made by John Boyd, who was a U.S. fighter pilot uh, back in the Cold War. And so um, where he came up with this uh, OODA loop was when he realized that uh, American fighter jets were outperforming uh, Russian MIGs. And so the Russian MIGs were technologically superior to what the American fighters were using during that time. Um, but the American pilots were still outperforming the Russians. And the reason for this being is that the cockpit inside the American jets had greater visibility, meaning that the pilot from within the cockpit was able to see more of what was happening around him and react on it and make decisions from just seeing what was going on. Whereas in the Russian MIGs, the cockpit wasn't as open, and even though it had all these gizmos that were helping them you know, fly better, do all these things, um, they just weren't able to get all that visual stimulus, all that information of what was actually happening around them. And so um, this principle, the OODA loop, is an acronym for observe, orient, decide, act. And because it's a loop, you're constantly repeating it as you're doing something, right? And so um, this is going into what observe is, right? Like say if we're walking up to a spot, right? Then we're like, I mean, what happens when you walk up to a spot, right? Like you assess the area. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? You're just assessing it. Right? Okay, this is something that non-parkours may not understand. hundred percent. But we like, we walk up to walls and we like take our hands and we run them mm -hmm. on top of the walls. We clear all the dust off. We like take our shoes and we like on the wall, 100%. like feel the grip and stuff like that. And so that's, we assess the area. We make sure there's no, the walls aren't crumbling. If you're in places you're not supposed to be, making but sure the roofs hold what's you. What's cool about the OODA loop is that it's literally a micro uh, aspect of every action. So even before you decide like, okay, we got this area. I see this wall. Okay, I wanna clear this wall, right? Like even making the decision to kind of dust it off, right? Um, we are going through observe, orient, decide, act, right? So I see the space, I see a wall I wanna train on, so I've oriented myself toward the wall, and I've decided I actually wanna train on the wall. So I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna act and walk toward the wall. Okay, now I'm at the wall. Okay, what's on the wall? I'm observing again. <laughs> okay, ah, I've noticed there's dust. I'm gonna orient myself toward the dust, then I'm going to decide to take it off, then I act and take it off, right? And so this is a constantly reoccurring uh, loop for everything. And then that even goes into the actual actions themselves where now that you've cleared it off, you made the space safe, 
now it's like, okay, now I have to climb on top of this wall, right? And so you're constantly going through this OODA loop. And so it's basically a real broken down version of every single decision that you do within a training space. And I'm assuming that goes for any discipline. <laughs> it's literally anything. Yeah, it's like, literally you know, like, anything. Like on a on this like conversation that we're having right now, like we're, we're having this loop happen over. hundred percent. Like we're yeah. assessing body language, we're assessing tone, um, we're seeing what we're currently talking about. Then we have to orient ourselves. Okay, he said this. What do I know that relates to that? Okay, right. Now I okay. Now I know it relates. Now I have to decide to actually use it, and then I actually use it. So that OODA loop goes over and over every time we break down movement moments, right? So yeah. every time we're taking off, every time we're in the air, every time we're landing, we're using that loop, correct? Oh, 100%. Even while you're flying through the air. Um, Which is crazy, because some yeah. jumps, like other parkourists will understand, some jumps you're in the air and you can have a couple full thoughts. Like oh, you'll, you'll just like, you'll be able to think in the air. And so like, you can either be like, oh, this is way easier than I thought it was. Or halfway through the air, you're like, oh, uh, I, start, <laughs> I need to start thinking how I'm going to get out of yeah, this one. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what's funny is that you don't even think like, oh, I need to get out of this. You're like, oh, okay, where's the rail? Okay, grab, place feet there. And yeah. then, yeah, so you, instead of thinking like, oh, this is what I need to do, you're, you instinctually already start thinking and doing those things. And so, yeah, the technical aspect is just our ability to make decisions and going through this OODA loop. Um, but the tactical active going into the idea of Ukemi, right? We're falling now, right? Yeah, um, Ukemi, for those of you who don't know, are, is the art of falling. Yes, Ukemi. Safely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a very important aspect that we're just falling all the time. Um, so... This goes into what we were talking about, like movement method, uh, movement moments, right? Um, being able to understand for these movement movements, when you get the um, the file, um, each aspect has its own OODA loop happening. It's our ability to decide whether we want to basically commit to the massive uh, decision that we're making, which is to perform a jump or to do a front flip, back flip, whatever the move may be, um, there's movement moments within it. So it's kind of like, again, similar to Uda, but on a more physical level, let's say, if we're looking at a jump that we're gonna do, we have to, one, coordinate the jump. Where are we gonna go? How are we gonna even run to get to that area? Um, then there's an the actual takeoff. How much force do I need to get to get, to, how much force do I need to put out to get to that area? Then as I'm in the air, um, did I orient myself correctly? Is my body in the right shape that I can make sure that when I get to my landing, I can do it safely. And then when I get to my landing, I need to secure that landing. And the entire time that you're going through these aspects, you're constantly, um, what's it called? Going through this loop. And so when it comes to developing tactical still skills um, to better optimize the way that this OODA loop functions, uh, within these movement moments is to develop either drills or exercises for these individual moments, right? So working on coordination drills, run-up drills, um, and this is for coordinate, being able to coordinate your jump, uh, developing your ability to just uh, assess distance better, right? Making sure that your eyes work and getting that trust uh, between your visual sense and your, and your ability to, you know, eye-hand coordination, to, to judge jumps, I mean. Um, getting comfortable with taking off with different surfaces. I hate, 
I hate taking off of rocks. But <laughs> <laughs> I hate landing on rocks. Oh yeah, they're they're just they like because it's so unpredictable, you and know. We, like and just, we live in the desert, yeah. So they're everywhere. They're really everywhere. So a big thing that I try to do anytime I get the chance to is I try to make my run-ups just as weird as possible, right? Whether the surface is weird or the angle is weird. So whenever I do have a perfect run-up for a jump that's really tough, I feel a little bit more confident knowing that it's not as hard or I'm more comfortable doing it on uh, situations that are not as uh, perfect. And then also on takeoff, this actually goes into exercises like force production, being able to have a nice, just to have strong stable joints that can stay stable as you take off. Because if your knees, ankles, or even your hip, if your body is out of alignment and you try to put force through it and your body is veering left as you take off, your body is going to go to the left, right? Especially if you're trying to go straight, you want to make sure that your body is staying as straight as possible so that you do go straight. And it's really interesting to get into that whole world of like a perfect takeoff because then you kind of realize how imperfect our joints are and how easily they can be like steered off in random directions. And so once you're in airtime, that one's really tough because this one actually goes into your ability to maintain stiffness through your body and actually process the information of what's it called? Of what's happening in the air. And so this one, I'd say it's very much on the cognitive capacity your ability to just comprehend what's happening in the moment and make decisions from it. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. That one, I'm still trying to figure out how to improve it, but maybe I'm gonna sound like a nerd for this, but I feel like my ability to think in air has improved if I just, as I've tried playing Doom on, <laughs> <laughs> on nightmare mode. So <laughs> like you're just constantly reacting. Your brain is constantly just like awake. You're kind of like, okay, I'm getting shot at from this side. But I don't know where this person is, but I just know that I automatically got to like start shooting. You barely see them and you're just constantly reacting. So I feel for right. me. And that makes sense because if you're playing any sport, right, if you're playing baseball, mm -hmm. you have to be keeping track of that ball and making decisions mm -hmm. accordingly, right? If you're in martial arts, he just threw a right. How do I counter? He's throwing a left now. He's throwing a hook. What mm -hmm. do I do? He's kicking, block, retaliate. 100%. Right? Every single sport is going to have moments like this. Football. Oh, he's right there. I got to go this way, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. You constantly got to be on your toes. And in terms of training it, I'd say, cause what's hard I think about parkour is that we don't, and I, I think this is how come people develop a little bit slow in parkour is primarily cause there is no pressure for decision-making and that's good because it means that they'll be able to train safely without the pressure, like any type of social pressure. But on a neurological cognitive capacity level, I do think it affects their ability to process information in higher level skills. So where say something as meticulous, like do like Kong Gainer Pre, Jesus Christ, have you seen that one? Verky, I don't even know, I don't know his actual name, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and pull this up real quick. But um, like just the ability to com confidently go for a Kong Gainer and over height, like this looked like at least half a story drop with at least like a 10 step, maybe 10 feet out, effectively pull that rotation out and land on a pillar perfectly. Like that, that takes another level of not like physical skill, but you're just, your ability to be able to be in that moment completely and coordinate a landing store where they were in, I want to say Bangkok, but I don't think that's right. Mm. It was like a 20 something story build and it was his max jump. Jesus Christ. And he was like, right? perfect. Yeah. And that's a lot of people reference that 
specific video when they mm. talk about being parkour being risky and you shouldn't be doing it mm -hmm. because that jump is just so insane. It's I mean, he flew too. straight. There was no height to it. He was like, yeah, it was crazy. But uh, yeah, no, I get what you mean. Yeah, cognitive capacity, psychological, like being able to make these decisions, tactical decisions, um, they go into our overall ability to uh, apply new skills that are specifically related to the sport. So that tactical and technical aspect is always gonna be related to whatever that person is trying to achieve in their training style or whatever the sport objective is. But going into the final coactives, the psychological coactive and the physiological coactive, these just do, these have to do if you're just mentally and physically prepared for the demands of your practice or your training style. And so psychologically, well, psychological, <laughs> um, psychological psychological well-being is pretty important. There's a whole thing on it right now in today's culture. I am one of the ones that is benefiting from it. You know, like, it's just how, you know, having a strong sense of spirituality, which is like meaning, understanding why you're doing something, and then having a connection to it, and then just kind of really understanding that there is a path for you within that process or that practice, right? So, uh, like, why am I doing this? And does this even feel like something that I can relate to? And then is this something that's going to actually take me somewhere or is it just going to be like a dead end practice, you know? And that's perfectly fine for some people, right? Like they just kind of start something and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't really know if I can go with this. But and that usually and this is usually the way it goes, right? It's just like you're trying to understand why you're doing it. And then if you do it right, you're trying it for the first time and it actually feels right, you're actually going to be more committed to it. But if you if there's no real path that can be created for you visually, even mentally, you're like less inclined to want to do it. So if you can establish those three things upon trying something new, parkour or anything regardless, you're going to probably be a lot more committed to it. Um, and that in was terms a of motivation. And that was a problem I, I personally had with a lot of those other af sports is I didn't like football. Mm -hmm. I, I literally, I would play it and I'd be like, like, just like you said, like, well, I'm not feeling this. Yep. I don't want to do it. Uh, you know, I played basketball, I played baseball, those I kind of clicked with. Mm. But like, aside from that, I, most other sports I played, I was just kind of like, eh. Mm. And then I saw a Jackie Chan movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> let's go. I want to do that. 100%. And so Jackie Chan is like most of my why. <laughs> because oh, yeah. I wanted to do the same you, things you know, he was doing. I, I would honestly say the same, really. Like my dad raised me up on martial arts movies. And so like, from like a very young age, dude, I was just jumping on stuff, trying to be yep. like Jackie Chan. I remember even having this dream where it was just like, I want to like ride a shopping cart, and punch a bunch of people, <laughs> and then do a front flip out of it. You know, like in like that whole like, you know, like how Jackie Chan's always using like inanimate objects and like he's like fighting people while he's in it, you know? There's, there's, <laughs> a, there's another podcast that talks about martial arts uh -huh. and parkour and stuff like that in common movies and stuff mm. like that and how it influences everyone mm. it's called coffee and kung fu it's one of the episodes coffee if, and kung fu. yeah go check them out i'll tag them in the instagram post that i make about this they talk about that in depth especially about jackie chan and bruce lee and how Dude, they all so influence us cool, man and i was similar to you man like i did a lot of athletics like i came from like an athletic background my family's very athletic they're just like you need to do sports and you need to go to college and i'm just yeah. like okay <laughs> and so i was constantly in this thing but where i ended up kind of really falling in love with parkour it was like i just really enjoyed the training aspect of those sports i just liked getting stronger but yeah. then when i had to go compete i was like this is kind of lame 
Yeah, I was you know? I was in gymnastics for a while. Really? And they forced me to compete. They were like, you either compete or you are not part of the program. That's so trash. And man. so, and literally, I just joined gymnastics because I wanted to learn flips. And they weren't even right? teaching me flips. So I was like, okay, giant I'm gonna go. Yeah. I'm gonna go uh, do parkour. <laughs> There's a, Jimmy the Giant had a cool video. Do you watch that one? Yeah. But, no, yeah. That yeah. was so cool. Yeah, but yeah, it's very important to find uh, that sense of meaning and having a connection to it um, with whatever practice you choose. With sports like these, you are only competing unless unless you're a big time like art of motion competitor. You are only competing against yourself. Oh, 100. And I like that aspect a lot more than competing against a bunch of other people and having to rely on an entire mm. team, you know? Yeah, and I think what's super parkour, super powerful about parkour, <laughs> what's super parkour about power? Um, what's super powerful about parkour is that going into that sense of meaning is that you can literally, you you create the meaning for parkour, really, um, for yourself, and that's that's a lot of power, where instead of, in some sports, right, where there's like, you need to get strong to do this, it's just like, no, you can literally decide if you even want to get strong, you yeah. know? You could use parkour to just get really good at balance and like falling. So many people do that. A um, lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then moving on from like the idea of like spirituality, right? Um, once we've created these, the system to follow, right? Just making sure that your emotions are in line, right? Emotions are probably one of the fastest mechanisms in the body. And, you know, like if you're, if something or someone, you know, <laughs> says something or you experience something, bad in your day like if you don't have emotional intelligence to get yourself out of it you're going to be completely low for the rest of the day you know um this is going into the idea of like triggers right and everyone has a trigger for something right trigger for happiness trigger for uh, being super sad um and so being able to uh, assess and use these strategically for your own performance and health will definitely allow you to perform better it, this basically gives you like security of self, you know, where you can like, if you're always feeling, I don't want to say always feeling good, but if you're always feeling in control of your emotions, you can at least, uh, you know, take control of like what that means for your day. Like, you know, like even if you feel bad, you can assess why you're feeling bad and be like, oh, well, I didn't sleep. So, well, I'll go ahead and fix that the next time. I'm still going to do these 10 push-ups, right? and I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna have discipline with my training, right? And it goes into this like, uh, building of like character which, with what our emotions are. But if we don't have this emotional intelligence or this emotional control or understanding and awareness, um, it's a loss of self, right? So you're not able to have this discipline. You're just gonna be like, oh man, I feel horrible. I'm just not gonna train today, you know? And so being conscious and aware of how your emotions work um, is the difference between being able to actually train and just not and just like giving up, you know. And yeah. So, which goes the, which goes into cognitive function within these coactives, you know, mm -hmm. like your attention span, uh, focus, the process, being able to process the information that you are given oh, and yeah. then do something with it. Oh, 100 percent. You know, and all of that changes according to the person. Oh, 100 percent. So, yeah, it's, it's super cool, um, like this entire like psychological aspect of it, um, primarily because it just it just really, it, it, I mean, it's, it's your brain, you know, it's, and your brain completely influences how you move, right? And so uh, making sure that you're cognitively capable of focusing, maintaining attention, and 
uh, being able to critically think and learn from whatever it is that you're trying to do and just being in a feel-good state the entire time and being able to have motivation to be doing it um, is what's going to push you forward physiologically. If you don't have any of that, um, nothing's probably going to happen for you. Yeah, and, and I've had plenty of students that just they're, I don't want to say hard to teach, but they're mm. hard to teach. Like because it's not coachable? Because it's not that they're not coachable, it's that their learning style is different. So mm. take me for example. I have trouble changing things without you repeating it over and over again. Mm -hmm. So when I'm told to do something, I double check with you and then I check again and then I check again and then I do, I change what it is because I, I need constant affirmation. Aiden is not like that. He punches a certain way. I'm like, no, that's wrong. Change it. He will change it immediately. Mm -hmm. He will, he, he's really good at picking up on things mm -hmm. and just instantly change did it. Did he do it like visually or like how did you? Just in general, like, yeah, it's like, okay, well, you're, we're not punching straight. We're punching sideways. We're not doing a straight punch. We're doing a hook, you know, uh. it just depends on what it is. All you have to do is give them that little bit of a change. And same thing with my parkour students. I have certain students who are like, okay, land on the balls of your feet this time, not your heels. Mm -hmm. And they're like, boom, don't need demonstration or anything. Just tell them they can do it. And then I have other students 60th time you've told them that. <laughs> and then you have to show them and then maybe they'll pick up on it once you show them because maybe they're a visual learner, right? Yeah. And um, so it, it very much changes according to who you are. Um, there's a there's a thing. This is actually the Dr. Ferguson Cannoli. It's a, it's a textbook that I got most of this information from. Um, and um, dang. But so this isn't even his own information. He's referencing another coach. Um, All the references. Yeah, <laughs> reference to reference, right? Um, but uh, I can't remember her name. But it, it's talking about how um, at the athletic level, um, <laughs> that most most athletes, because it's an it's a it's a very effective teaching style, are mostly uh, visual and tactile. So okay. um, or no, kinesthetic. That's the term. So just like physio, like right? Their, their muscles. <laughs> I just went it's all doing like, over and over. Yeah, again. right. And just kind of actually being guided through what it means. And so what that means, though, at the at, at the elite athletic level, because there are these other types of like exploration and creativity and like self whatever, um, those do exist. Um, but at the collegiate level, or what's been researched, is that they're not actually that effective when teaching practices, which is. Really interesting to hear. It's not my information, but this is what I've read. But um, from that conclusion, one of these coaches uh, has created um, optimal learning, optimal learning, I can't remember, op optimal learning exercises. So instead of teaching them, right, saying like, this is how you got to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because that's not, that's been proven to be it's effective, but it's not as effective which as I, just creating. Yeah, um, which I also want to bring up the point that parkour isn't like that. Parkour mm. is not one of those things where it's like, mm. it has to be exactly 100%. this way. And a lot of coaches, I was like this when I first started mm. as well, they treat it that way. Oh, yeah. Um, and and they'll, they'll be like, no, you did it like slightly wrong. Like, it's mm. not right. Like, I get that. Like, parkour mm. is not like that almost at all. 100%. Um, but um, what I was going to go ahead and, and say, um, primarily because 
if that's happening with a student um, or any type of athlete, you want to try and create a drill specifically to eliminate that, right? So instead of like, if it's something where they're landing on their hills, we'll just limit the amount of surface area that they got. Right. Right. Yeah, so like just like they literally have to, I would even say take away a bar, literally have them like a classic, maybe it's a risky one, but like, I, I love the one with Adrian. This is how I clean up all my kids' precisions yep. on day one. Put your hands in front of their landing area. If right? their hands are too wide, you put them on either side so they're forced to land mm -hmm. in between your hands. But right? uh, instead of in between, it would be just right. Yeah, space. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying for like if they had if they were landing too wide. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like small. you got to stay yeah. here. Right. And so that would be a way of just creating like a drill one. to like handle that. So yeah. instead of um. And it's, it's, what's it called? Optimized, optimized learning drills, where it's just like, you're just facilitating that thing. You're not actually trying to teach it. You're just being like, this yeah. is your challenge, figure it out. And that's something that Adrian is really good about mm -hmm. teaching me. He really nailed that into me. So like, there's this one where like, my kids have a habit of touching the bar, touching the box or whatever, and then mm -hmm. jumping back. No, oh, bouncing back? I know they can do the jump. They are physically capable. Same. So do you know what I'll do? I'll go and lay between what they're taking off of and the bar. So, and then just magically they make it because I know they can make it. You know, you can't you do some ideas. Yeah, you just go and lay between it. And usually what I'll do is I'll walk over, mm -hmm. I'll look at the ground, I'll look around, and I'll be like, I'm getting tired. And I'll just lay down. Yes, and my, like, <laughs> yeah, and my students will just be like, what? I can't, do, I can't do that. And like, yes, you can't go. <laughs> yeah. And then they get it. And then once they get it, you can get up, you can move, and they magically have it after that. <laughs> yeah. So there's this idea of teaching with constraints, actually, um, yeah. from Dan Edwards. And there's a book that he referenced last time, but I, I can't remember. It too constraints much. create creativity. Boom. Yes. Yeah, that's actually very effective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah. Um, but then, um, what's it called? Uh, what were we talking about here? So. Yeah, and so creating these optimized like learning things for kiddos or even ourselves, like trying to break down skills to where even we're, we're giving ourselves these constraints. Have I done that on anything yet? No, 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 man. When's the last time you tried to like actively challenge yourself with like a constraint to learn something? I do that a decent amount. Really? Yeah. So, okay, I do this thing. Anyone who has trained with me mm. will know this. You may not because I haven't trained with you You've as much. Done like four times. But like <laughs> I'll be training and someone will be like walking or standing in a certain area and I'll be like, no matter what, do not yeah. move. Yeah, 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 and yeah, they're yeah. like, they get scared <gasps> and they're yeah. like, why? And I'm like, just don't move. And I'll jump. That, but they end up moving. <laughs> and I jump right next to them or between their legs or whatever mm. it is. It, you can you can switch it up as much as you want. Mm. I love having that as a constraint. Oh, um, there's all kinds of constraints for martial arts. There's mm. all kinds of constraints mm. for like I that's what I build my training off of a yeah. lot of the time. Um, so if I need to train at heights, I'll say, okay, I'm gonna do balance, but I must be balancing on something taller than myself. Um, when I was learning Pac Sao, it's, it's, a, it's a style of martial art. Right? Mm. I was like, okay, I have the ideas down. Now I must do it on a bar. Yeah. And I, I, I go through the motions on a bar. Mm. Do you know what poi is? 
No, but it sounds cool. Okay, Poi, Fire Poi. There's pictures on my Instagram, uh, Kenny Peckada. Uh, you light them on that. fire. <laughs> yeah, you light them on fire and you spin them around your body like this. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's pictures of it on my Instagram. Pulling it up right now. And so what I did was I made Poi out of tennis balls and paracord. Um, and what I did was I was like, okay, I have to do this Poi all the same techniques I'm doing on ground and I have to do it on a bar and it is hard. (laughs) And so I literally, I did that. I was like, I'm going to teach this. And so I taught it at a team training and they loved it. They loved it so much. Dude, that's not, I would love to do that at a team training. Like it's those kinds of constraints. I love training. How often do you guys have team trainings? Once a week, Monday. That's very important Uh, for a, yeah. I'm trying to find it. Oh, this is a photo yep. though. I remember these. Yeah. That one should be a video. One of them. Fancy boy. Fancy boy. This is my my bro talking coming up. <laughs> uh, hey, you, <laughs> you want to go spin poi? I'll teach you how and what can go. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. But um, yeah, man. Like, oh, there's so many constraints, and I just realized one for myself. Um, that I always, I, I do so much that I forgot that it is a constraint, um, is that I don't really allow myself to take more than two steps in my lines. Yeah. Um, I do I, that, but I do it with three. Yeah. I, I either try to like, I land and if I can go straight to the next one, I go for it. Um, but I, I really like, uh, I'll get super mad if I take more than two steps for anything. And it's just like, uh, I don't know. I think I'm just created it and I remember Anna and Jason Paul talking about it like it's okay to remember <laughs> between, between objects you don't need to do all these extra moves when you could just literally run there but I, I'm very much stuck in this like no it flows <laughs> it feels like water but um yeah I do that you like lot. water my friend yeah and that's, that's really what I've been building my, my training around is just kind of how every movement can kind of like just like really flows together uh whenever I'm teaching flows um, to my kiddos, I actually do this thing because I know kiddos love their turn, and so I put a little pressure on their turn, uh, especially when we're doing anything uh, vault, uh, flow oriented. Um, I'll say that their turn is over if there's even the smallest like restabilization. Like yeah. if they land, like even if they're going one two, if they have to like gather themselves and then go, I'm like, you're done. The vacuum yep. line, and so it's a little bit harsh, but they actually enjoy doing. It. Like they, they have a blast. They're just like ah, and they know that they messed up. Yeah. But what ends up happening is that they kind of get into this mindset of like, okay, I can't stop, and I just need to continue letting what I start with flow all the way to the very end. One of my favorite constraints that I didn't mention was sound. Oh, yeah. You have to be quiet. Oh yeah. So I will teach entire classes. I'll I walk into class. And I'll do warm up normally, and then I'll have them go get water, and then mm. when they come back, I'll just be staying there quiet. Have you ever tried to start the class that way? Yeah, yeah, yes. I've done entire yeah, classes so like this, that. and I'm like, and I'm like gesturing with how to do things. Yeah, yeah, and like if they make too much of a noise, if it's like, then I'm like five squats. Like, yeah, like, constraints. start doing push-ups and wait yeah. for everyone to join. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I've yeah. done all kinds of stuff like that. And so I also have that for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's one reason why I like wearing Feiyus, because I think they promote technique and form. 
And so when you try and be quiet, especially with such a thin shoot, it just really helps your form and stuff like that. And oh, so yeah. being this quiet. Is that awareness, it, tactile awareness. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. silence is one of my favorite constraints. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, dude. Like I used to be like a like I used to be very like power, like a big power guy. Like I used to have big old quads. I used to weigh a lot. Um, and I thought because I was traveling so much distance that it was okay to be thunderous. Yeah. Until I met someone who could jump further than me, and they were yep. making no noise whatsoever. Yep. And I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I was yeah. like, dang, I've been wasting my time. Yep. Like, and it was an easy fix. I just had to be a little bit more um, conscious of how I was landing. Because before, I guess, right. like, I was just like, I'm going this far. Um, and I don't need, like, it's, it's a lot of power. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just, I'll just... I, I know I can catch it, so I, yeah. need a, I, I caught the landing. It doesn't need to be quiet. It's <laughs> and then I and then I started actually doing it, and I was like, "Whoa, like, yeah. this is!" And then your ability to transfer that out into other movements is just right uh, efficiency. It's so nice, but okay. physiological. Yep. <laughs> we're going on a really long one here, longest one ever. But so far, yeah. So but far. I mean, we we had a lot to talk about, and we have been talking about. Um, and this is my first time actually talking to anyone about this really because um i don't know it's 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 a little it's really dense information and but it's good information yeah because it, it really it's it gives you a lot of perspective you definitely have to go back with the the book the art of sports science by dr ferguson cannoli uh, i'm constantly referencing it over and over and over and over again and i'm constantly learning more getting better interpretations of what the writing is and even coming up with drills from what I've already read and implementing into my classes. So it's definitely something that you just have to go back and kind of listen to all the time and get yourself the textbook. Holy dang, it is, it is the best <laughs> thing. Because this is, and I think that's how it's also taking so far long because these coactives, literally like 10, pages long of yeah. information yeah so i'm just like oh my god how do i unpack all this but um going into the physiological coactive um just so that we can go ahead and just tie all this information that we've been talking to together because right now we're doing individual but because it is a coactive all these individual components are working together the moment anything is done any movement any sequence of movements Thing. like and like the, from the moment you walk into a spot all these things are starting to fire off and work together so it, it's a lot to unpack and that's open it's a system of systems it's complex um, but this is what I would say is you know actual like performance once you can understand each of these things you can go ahead and develop them but the physiological co-active well um, this is something that I feel like a lot of parkour people understand. <laughs> you need to have really good movement and mobility movement in terms of tissue lengthening. You know, you got to be flexible um, and then also have mobility. So being able to go into, you know, the full range of each of your joints, being able to circumduct um, when circumduction is necessary, being able to squat completely when squatting is necessary and not have any type of foot tissue restrictions because tissue restrictions again if you're not flexible you're putting yourself at risk of tearing an injury uh, tearing tissues and having an injury so making sure that you can go into full length and even hyperflexed uh positions is what's going to keep you safe in the long term uh like a, a really extreme example um but for some reason it's someone that i've really 
heard a lot happening within the parkour community is um, not just ankle sprains, ankle things, yeah, right? Ankle, but ankle thingies. Achilles ruptures from yeah. hyperdorsiflexion. That's the one that I hear all the time. And that one's a really easy thing to avoid if you're constantly stretching your ankles, right? And I feel like the reason it does happen and this goes into the physiological collective and just being able to maintain our body is understanding that parkour is an impact sport. Yeah. So there's so many stressors that go on. You're dealing with concrete, one of the most dense- Unforgiving yeah, surfaces. Yes, it's, it's the most insane surface that you can try and do a sport on, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's it's gonna create a lot of vibra vibrational stress within, stress within the tissues. And so anytime that tissues are put under stress, they just get tight and tight and tight. And so if you're never addressing them, um, basically things can only get so tight. <laughs> Dynamic stretching, static stretching, myofascial release. Those are all things you can use to 100%. relieve that Amen, tension. Amen, dude. Uh, I used to work as a stretch practitioner at a place called Stretch Zone. Um, and everyone's kind of, and, it, and it, it's really sad because <laughs> like 100% like stretching information is really hard to find. Um, and like I've even, I can't really talk smack or anything, but like I've seen physical therapists um, giving clients like the most basic stretching like advice. So like, touch your toes to make your like hamstrings less tight. And I'm just like, oh, damn dude. Like, um, and I thought that was really interesting, but um, to be honest, I would have gave, gave the same like uh, advice if I didn't work as a stretch therapist. And of course there's a lot of different stretching techniques. Um, but like there's dynamic and then there is blah, 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 passive, static stretching, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm blanking out here. Um, but there's PNF, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. There's ballistic stretching. There's all these different variations of stretching that you can do to improve the lengthening of your tissues. Not that you're actually lengthening them, but they're more like a ladder and they fold apart. But, um, and all of these things can be done to improve your flexibility, right? Everyone thinks like, oh, you just gotta bend over and hope that you touch your toes, <laughs> right? When that's really just not the case. There's a bunch of different uh, techniques that you can implement to improve your flexibility um, quite optimally and actually even have results by the next day. So it's just all about finding what works for your body, but um, staying on the topic of flexibility and I, 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 I it's all, like your muscles can stretch so far um, just naturally, right? Because your muscles, like I said, your muscles technically never lengthen. You're not like getting your muscles in like, you're gonna be this long now. They can actually go to that length already. It's just, a f they just have never done it before. And so when you experience pain, that's what's called your stretch reflex. It's basically your body being like, hey, be careful, we've never done this before. And there was a little bit of tension here, so you really shouldn't try to go. And so what you gotta do is get yourself comfortable with what that range is. 30 seconds, right? 30 seconds. So <laughs> from what I've heard, um, mm -hmm. when you're doing especially static stretching, mm -hmm. you get that pain sent to your brain, right? And mm -hmm. your brain is telling you, no, 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 don't stop, 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 right? Mm -hmm. After 30 seconds, your brain will start to tone back on those signals. Yeah. And so when you do your static stretches, you want them to last for 30 seconds or more. Yeah. Yeah. And the, there's, there's also different things like uh, my favorite one to go through and there's different types of proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. Um, but this has to go with like agonist and protagonist muscles or is it like agonist and antagonist? Can't remember the actual <laughs> terms, but, um, basically, um, 
It's really interesting, right? So like say, um, right, even just to raise your arm, right? Um, my shoulder is contracting while my posterior deltoid is relaxing to raise my arm up. So you'll see the tension here on the top of my shoulder, but there's no tension in the back, right? And so um, what's interesting about this is that like, if one muscle on the opposite side of your body is flexing, the one on the other side is relaxing. So um, this is kind of like you can go into a stretch and if you flex the other muscle, you can actually go a little bit further because now it's relaxing more. And so that's an idea of like proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. And so that one is, I, I think it's the most optimal way to gain range fast. And I think it's also really good to gain functional strength because you're actually actively trying to use it. And so it becomes more familiar because it's now something that you're actively trying to control. Whereas in passive stretching, you're just like, I'm just gonna lay here for 30 seconds. It's still effective, but it's just not something I would do. I've actually yeah. never done it before. Okay, so we need to wrap this up. Yes, we <laughs> I was actually thinking like, after getting past the like the health section, I was like, we should probably just make this a second. Because <laughs> I knew how Parts much- Parts and parts. Yeah, you could- yeah, it, it, and because it really is a lot to unfold, this is what I've been trying to understand. This plus the other textbooks that I have. I have my strength and conditioning cert, not cert, but the, the textbook, and then my NASM, what else, how to be a supple leopard. Um, and I'm just trying to combine all these different like books, these sources of information, even my tiny books, not my textbooks, but like uh, what other books. Like I'm just constantly reading these things and I'm like, okay, how does it make sense for parkour? And that's the toughest thing because parkour is so like everywhere. Yeah. So it's just like, how do I take what's being practiced in basketball and apply that to this that is technically jumping, but it's super far away from basketball, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so just to kind of wrap it up, physiological collective, uh, it is pretty important, um, you know, getting strong, but I don't think it's as important as most people think it is. Especially if you're carrying around a bunch of muscle and weight you don't hundred percent, right? And so in parkour, you just really want to develop the physical qualities that are required for the way that you're trying to train, right? So instead of just like, it's like the idea of like trying to become like a speed runner, right? And like you're trying to go for like speed comps, but you're training like Kong gainers for some reason. <laughs> it's like, it's just like- It's to speed you up, man. Yeah, it's like you're, you're, you're working speed. There is something happening there. Like you, you are doing parkour and you could turn that into an exercise, a whole drill, but that's not gonna get you the physical qualities required to get faster at doing, you know, running on rails, dropping and rolling and continue to be able to roll out, right? Like there's a bunch of physical qualities necessary that physical and psychological components necessary to even just do what I said, right? Run on rails, drop, roll, right? It's very complex. Um, whereas, um, you know, just getting super strong, like, It'll help you for like, you know, having stable joints and, you know, being able to climb up faster. But again, like if you're not trying to climb up faster, then why are you going to, you know, do that? Like, whereas like for me, remember, um, I, I suck at climbing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because that's like one of my strong suits is 100%. climbing. And it's because my, my training isn't currently geared toward that right now. But I'm really, I'm getting a little bit self-conscious about it because I'm like, man, I do want to train some climbs with you now. Come, you know? Come come to the cave, uh, come and, to the cave. This is, this is a good example of that, right? Where it's just like, I've geared my training for, um, I've, I've geared my body to be more toward the way that I like to train. Yeah. And 
I can still do climbs, but I'm not going to do them as like great as yeah. like, you know, and then if I do want to go into that, I can start gearing my training toward that way. Um, but I'm not going to do it if it's not really in line with what I do. And I just kind of see that in parkour a lot where people are like, I'm going to load up 300 pounds and I'm going to squat. And I'm just like, but you don't like, you don't try to do like massive jumps. Like you're doing, you're putting all the stress on your body to just to be able to like, you know, do these rolls on the ground and being able to balance on a rail. Um, it's useful muscle versus it, it, not. Yeah, useful. you know, it's just like if you're trying to get better at like flow, like maybe like you know, like do like coordination exercises, become more mobile, right? The the deeper you can squat, the easier it is to go underneath the rail. You know, getting that stability, getting that like reactiveness, but um, don't go overboard trying to think like okay, in, in parkour I just need to be super strong in all these aspects, right? And strong to be useful. Yeah, and you do want to be strong to be useful, but. Um, yeah, just don't like do all this extra stuff if it's not really necessary. Know what you want to train or know the way that you want to train and see the physical qualities that are necessary to get to that type of training. And then you're going to see that it's optimized and you're going to get results in the in the way that you want to train faster. So, um, yeah. stressors. <laughs> stressors. <laughs> Develop Man. a bone gene stressors. Oh yeah. Next part. <laughs> um Managing stressors. I mean, it's just understanding that concrete, we, we technically talked about it already in movement and mobility, but concrete, concrete's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can kind of skip over. Yeah, no, I mean, but yeah, no, like just make sure that you're constantly not like biting off more than you can chew and make sure that, you know, at the end of your training sessions or even before your training sessions that you are preparing your tissues um, for the stress that you're going to be putting them on. Uh, I actually had this talk with my kiddos the other day, because um, <laughs> uh, what's it called? Uh, what were you? What were you talking about? Oh, I was talking about how my knees were kind of like getting a little bit achy, yeah. and so um, and that's because like again, like I, I know this information, but I don't implement it all the time. Yeah. I think like i like especially if I'm training with the boys, right? Like, do as I say, training. not as I do. <laughs> yeah, like, like if I'm training solo, I'll, I'll do it all. But like if I'm out training like with people, um, usually like it's like a, you get you know, a little lax. Yeah, like yeah. I'm training, we're pushing it. Let's go out to eat immediately, you know. And so um, it's a little bit rushed. You kind of like work over that. And I think that's if you can fit in a really good warm up and a really good cool down, you're serving yourself a lot. Um, but um, I was explaining to them the idea of like immediate injuries and cumulative injuries, right? Like in parkour, in most sports, we understand uh, immediate injuries, right? And we actually talked about like the things that could, you know, go wrong, or it's just like, you know, uh, torn ligaments, uh, broken bones, concussions, um, and kind of like what they can come from, right? And we should be aware of those things, and we've practiced ukemi so that they don't happen. Um, what do we do to prevent the buildup of an injury, which is called a cumulative injury? And that goes into knees are probably the biggest one that parkourists have is just oh, damaged knees. And it has to just go with, uh, well, I think it goes from the cueing is like land on your toes, which is good, but it's also too general because when people start trying to land on their toes, they're, um, you know, going into plantar flexion. Anytime you go into plantar flexion, that's going to bring the rest of your body forward and that's going to turn into anterior loading. And so right. a lot of that load is going to go into your knees. But what we actually need to teach is to... I don't want to say stop landing, the landing on your toes, but maybe just like forefoot or try to make that like more familiar. Um, right. Well, when you land like midfoot, it kind of 
hurts, especially if you're doing yeah. like rails. And then like you don't land midfoot and heel and then take off from your heel. You take mm. off from your toes. Yeah. And so that's the idea behind mm. it, right? But if your knees are coming too far forward, mm. then you're right. So yeah, learning how to train the precision landing with like squat cues, right? Or it's just like, you need to be able to hinge and stay loaded, right? Right. Because if there's no like pullback on the hips and if there's no active loading into the hips, uh, the knees are gonna go rampant, right? And all that force is gonna go straight there. And so um, right now, um, I do teach precision tech, but I do teach precisions the same way that I'd be teaching squats. And so, okay. um, and so from that, I've had like really consistent, um, what's it called? like mm, just ability of my kids to do precisions or not i don't have the facility for them to actually be pushing their precisions but right if they did they could so yeah um but yeah um and that's like when i think the whole knee problem thing is prevalent because we're not talking about like oh engage your hips and well, you also properly have, manage load you also have to think about generational right mm -hmm. i mean if <laughs> If you watch a bunch of the Amon oh, videos, yeah, they don't they're... roll. They go boop. You know what's and funny is that um, who was it? Verdrux <sighs> was it? No, it wasn't my boss. It was his brother. Um, they didn't do cat leaps in the beginning. Really? Yeah, no, they didn't. Right, and that I think it was I can't remember his name, but he helped found uh, Parkour DXP. But basically, uh, he, he was the one who founded like, yeah, this isn't the most effective way to nope. jump to a wall. <laughs> have have <laughs> you seen Kadori take drops? Oh, the dude's a monster. So he, he, not all the time, sometimes he rolls, but a lot of the time, especially there's one particular, he dropped off a bridge and he just crumbled. <laughs> and he didn't even take the roll. He didn't, didn't roll, roll or anything. Oh my God, and then he tried and to roll. Right? I think <laughs> that is where a lot of the knee problems come from. Like I remember when I started um, parkour, I didn't even know the community existed, so mm. I wasn't taking classes. Oh, and right. I so just, like that initial part of just hopping off of I stuff. just jumped off my roof with no roll or anything. Just like, oh. I have a video of this. Yeah. And I was just like, whoop. And then I stand up and I walk off. <laughs> yeah, and so I think a lot of practitioners did that, especially no, I mean, in the I, early I, days. Dude, I remember hucking front flips off of everything. Yep. And this is like where we learned how to do front flips. Dude, yep. dude uh, I even I made a funny video. It wasn't off of height though, but because I landed so trash on a front flip, <laughs> um, I was like, RIP knees. Because yep. I was like, landed all, like yep. <laughs> but um. Dang, man. But yeah, and then so that's again the idea of managing stressors. Don't know how to handle load because the better you handle load from like impacts, the less stressors that your body actually takes. But if you're, it's a whole, it's a whole other different world because we got there. Uh, okay, we won't get into it too much, but a separate video. Um, developing the body. <laughs> developing the bodies for and from the training style. Going back into having the physical qualities necessary. Um, for the way that you want to train, right? So you just gotta, yeah, you just gotta develop from the training style. Which we've already kind of talked about as far as like, I train differently than Josh trains. Josh oh, trains differently than everyone else trains, you know? Yeah, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I think that's really funny that it's constantly a little bit of a debate still, where it's just like, oh, he's a free runner, oh, he's a parkour thing. There's like these like separations. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like, uh, what's it called? I watched that David Bell story interview and he was just like, yeah, dude, I really don't care <laughs> what yeah. you guys do. And I was just like, 
okay, yeah. So like once I kind of like really got into that mindset, started hanging out with different guys, I was like, wow, I don't need to just be training like traditional A to B stuff. I could actually just go ahead and start exploring. And that's how come my training style was like just totally 180 from what I was doing, I think, two years ago, where I was just like massive precision and speed yeah. run. Now I'm like, okay, how many moves can I chunk onto this wall without <laughs> moving away from this wall, you know? Yeah. And so, and I've had a lot of fun doing that lately. And it, it's very, like, it's so fit, like mentally tasking. Like physically, my body can do it, but like it just gets to the point of just where it's just like, oh my God, this is just like, like even my like vision gets like, it, it gets overwhelming to the level where I'm just having to stay above, stay ahead of what I'm doing, and it's just all happening so fast. It, it's 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 quite it's quite interesting to get into. So to wrap this up, yes, sir. Train with all of these in mind, no matter your discipline. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really simple, and I, you know, I feel like all this is like really common knowledge, right? But it's just not really. It's but, written out. Yeah, 100 percent. It's yeah. just not really written out. And I think that just goes for so many things in life, right? Like we kind of know, it goes into, what's it called? The, was it Plato or Socrates? Where it's just like, I have like these two voices and I do the, when something says not to do something, I just don't do it. Oh you yeah. Know? And when something says to do something, you just do it. So just following right. that like inner conscience that's guiding you. And like, he ended up being like one of the most famous like philosophers ever. Yeah. Like Jesus Christ, just following that inner thing. And so I'd say like, this is like that same example where it's just like, you know, you know, these things exist, you know, you need to be doing them. So go ahead and do them. But now it's laid out. Right. So two more questions yeah. before we finish the podcast. If you had a hundred million dollars, what would you spend it on? hundred million dollars. Um, dang. Well, I feel like the selfish one, but it came to my mind immediately was open up like the most awesome parkour gym ever to rival like Tempest and what else? Oh, do you like Gurlev? Oh, do you, you know Gurlev yeah. in Denmark? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I would try to make like, the second one. <laughs> But like Woodward. mix it with like Tempest level, like yeah. 11 Tempest, if you can mix those together. Um, but then the second one going into just something that I think is really important to address is like, I don't know, something that can like stop human trafficking. It's one of the biggest things that are just like, it bothers me. My mom worked for like border, um, for the border patrol and she housed a lot of those kiddos that came. She worked primarily with kids. Um, and a lot of them are being like trafficked coming up into this. So like being able to fund those places where they do take care of those kids and that they do stop those traffickers from getting across. Um, that's probably where some of the money would go. That's actually something I'd like to get into in the long term, which is like preventative training, bringing awareness to like the idea of like, like, I don't know, just like, I don't know, something for protection, like in urban life where it's just like you can use parkour to get away from a bad situation with like martial arts. Maybe we can team up on that. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I put my money to. Okay, last question. If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, dang. That's a, okay. <laughs> okay let me think about that one because I have a lot of, okay. One, I've got my three. I've already got my three. Okay, so I got... Dang. Okay. Okay. So one would have to be Jordan Peterson because that dude, I just love the way that he speaks um, and just all the ideas that he has. And then number two, man, this astronaut guy is super cool. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Chris Hadfield. He's a homie. 
Um, and I love all of his books. Number three, okay, stop being a nerd. Actually got a celebrity in there. <laughs> um, oh, man. This is, this is tough because I really don't watch too much like TV. Oh, Ryan Gosling. Love that dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Dude, Blade Runner 2020. No, it was 2072. I'm not too sure, but that movie was great. Yes. La La Land, phenomenal. Yeah, no, dude, Ryan Gosling. Oh, damn it. Can I take it back? Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, 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 Ryan Reynolds, yeah. It's hard to get into only three people. Yeah. Um, so. With a million, ten million, and three people. A hundred. hundred million. And three people. <laughs> okay, okay, so a hundred million dollars. Make the most badass studio. Yeah, so <laughs> there is something that I've always... I, I would open a dojo, hey. and not necessarily like I teach, um. just a place to train. And then also, probably the same as you, I'd want to open a gym. Mm -hmm. Boom. And then I'd also so get a, what is it, a 67 Firebird pony? I is think it? it's my I used car. to do door-to-door -door advertising, and I think I saw one last time when I was out. Oh, dude. They're the ones the special that they literally have a Firebird. Yes, on the hood. I love them. Yeah, That's my dream car right there. <laughs> yeah. But that alone is like, yeah, oh, dude, oh, they look that's like, crazy. They look like really like maybe because it's the only car I can compare them to is like a Corvette, but like if it could be like sexy and elegant for that time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little bit more Mustang because of the square body. You know, a lot of Corvettes yeah. back then. They but were it does have a, it has a really like long front. Yeah, that's yeah. like when I was thinking of like Corvette because the Corvettes have that like you right. Know, the yeah. But yeah, the Firebird does have that like. Yeah, so that's what I would do. Um, yeah, I don't do cars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, three people. Um, there's a guy. His name is Andre Jake. Sounds cool. Um, Any guy named Andre is cool. I my my first go to was Stephen Graham. Mm. Um, I changed it. Uh, I follow both of them financially. Big into the financial space, especially on YouTube, and they are two of the ones that I follow the closest. Um, oh, Steph these are the guys you're telling me about. Yes, yes Stephen yes. Graham has a podcast called Ice Coffee Hour. He will get you on track with your financials if you're not already. Yeah, yeah. yeah the reason I chose Andre Jake is because I really like magic. I know how to do several different magic tricks. I'm, you know, I'm not very good, but I, especially when I was a little, gotta kid, add that to the bad kitty media. <laughs> magic tricks tutorials but <laughs> Andre Jake is the one who basically made and directed and taught the tricks and all that for um no my mind just blanked it's one of my favorite movies in the world it's 12 o'clock at night it's perfectly fine <laughs> no it's cause I'm getting tired um yeah no it's <laughs> the magic movie uh, now you see me Yes! Yep. Literally, now you see me. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, I've and, never seen him, so go ahead, I'll, I'll try him out. Yeah, and so he's the one who basically did that movie. Damn. And, like, he's super financially there. He's like a millionaire, like, kind of thing. And so he would be the first one. Mm. The second one would be Bruce Lee. Amen for that one. Right off the bat, like, just... Oh, the third one... The third one is harder to think of. Those are my two right off the bat. Third one would probably be like David Bell. Amen. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, that, that probably, <laughs> was like, yeah, we got to bring him back from the dead. Like, yeah. Dead <laughs> <laughs> David Bell. Yeah, um, if not David Bell, Jason Paul. Jason Those Paul. are my two. Yeah. Like, for that last spot. Jason um, Paul's pretty cool. So financial, martial arts, and parkour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are my three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That mine's like, what? Full of psychology, just space. Popular guy. Popular guy <laughs> Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool, yeah dude, it's a comical relief to all this depression talk going on. Uh, yeah. just, like life is cruel. I love Ryan. Also, yeah. I love Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, it's a, it'll be a nice balance. I think that's actually really cool. But sicko, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This has been a nice two hours of podcast. Yeah, we need to. Uh, I've kept you here for far too long. I'm so sorry. Oh no, it's all good. I mean, like I should have remembered to that podcasts are usually quick um, <laughs> right listen to it on your drive to work, work not your yep. drive to another state yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep. but um what's it called anything else you have to say um uh, no yeah it was pretty fun i'm glad that i was able to share some of this information um and i'm hoping to figure out how to get all of this information more Compacted. compacted. Well, we'll have you back on at some point. We, I'm yeah, gonna we'll have probably talk about something else. Back on, yeah. We can talk about whatever you want. I'm always down for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's just about it for today's podcast, guys. So uh, we'll see you guys later. Uh, you guys should check out our Patreon. We have a podcast option if you guys don't want to subscribe to the whole thing. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, follow Josh on Instagram. What's your Instagram? Oh, Rose Movements. I wasn't, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, follow me on Instagram, Rose Movements. I post sometimes but it's still pretty cool and also follow the business he works for which is uh premiere studios and also follow our instagram bad kitty media uh you can also find us on patreon under the same name our website is basically the same thing bad kitty media you can contact us there you can see all of our services um including our podcast there follow us on anchor follow us on spotify apple podcasts um all of the platforms uh, we also have a sponsor option on Anchor, so if you guys want to support us, go support us on there. Of course, support us on our Patreon. Uh, we got a bunch of different tiers you guys can visit there. So, yeah, uh, we'll see you guys later.